Hey friends, this is Linda and welcome to another episode of Calling Water. I hope you all have been encouraged by our continued practice of studying a passage of scripture to talk about what it means and what it calls us to do. In today's episode, Out of the Same Mouth, we're looking at James chapter 3 and how there is much wisdom in choosing our words carefully. Let's begin. Most of us growing up in the States have heard this playground rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's kind of a dark piece of poetry, but it's meant to encourage kids and maybe grown-ups a little too, that we should never let other people's words get us down. Oh, but they do. A lot. And often. Words are powerful in both their ability to lift someone's spirits or break them down irreversibly. We can emote so much meaning in a single word that we spend an inordinate amount of time in our lives trying to decipher what someone meant by the words they chose. What did they mean by that is a common conversation starter. I myself have had several occasions where I had been hung up on something someone once said to me. It's very much a soul-crushing experience. And oftentimes, we are the very same perpetrators who inflict hurtful words on others. We don't really like to think about that much because we convince ourselves that the other party soundly deserved a particularly snarky zinger or a sassy retort. I am a writer and editor by trade, so saying the right thing at the right time with the right amount of eloquence is a huge deal for me personally. But you know what? No matter how satisfying of a feeling it might have been in the moment, once spoken, you can't really take your words back. There's a scene that I really like from the old movie, You've Got Mail, where Meg Ryan's character comments on the fact that she can't ever seem to have any good comebacks for people who are rude to her. And Tom Hanks' character says he wishes he could give all his insulting powers to her, but then adds this note. I must warn you that when you finally have the pleasure of saying the thing you mean to say at the moment you mean to say it, Remorse inevitably follows. This is why, as followers of Jesus, we are reminded throughout Scripture to guard the things we say. So let's go through James chapter 3 together and do a deep dive on how we can be more mindful about the things we say. Verse 1, right off the bat, starts off like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, this opening is not necessarily aimed at discouraging people to become teachers or preachers or other positions of authority. It's reminding everyone, especially those already in leadership positions, that we are all held to a higher standard and greater accountability. And it's true. We expect everyone who teaches to walk the talk, to practice what they preach. We feel a certain level of betrayal when we find out someone doesn't do what they advise others to do. 
In a recent episode of the show, Ted Lasso, a man is called into a conference with his niece's teacher who tells him that she has been swearing a lot at school. And both the teacher and the uncle knows that he is the one who has rubbed off on his niece because this character curses incessantly throughout the show. The teacher gently reminds him, you know the influence you have on her, use it. And then the scene ironically ends with the teacher herself swearing out loud after they leave. But later, when the guy tries to tell his niece she needs to stop using profanity, what do you think her response was? That's right. She says, but Uncle Roy, you swear all the time. Now, no matter how many times we see this do as I say, not as I do motif in pop culture and in real life, this is the first step in choosing our words carefully. It's knowing that whatever words we give to others, we are accountable to sticking to them too. Now, if this seems like a challenging task, this verse, verse two, isn't going to help. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. This verse isn't saying that there are people out there who are in fact perfect. It's saying that we are all kind of already at a disadvantage because there is no way anyone can really keep their whole body in check all the time. Such a perfect person, apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, does not exist. So what does that mean? That means the words in the upcoming verses are going to be hard to hear and even harder to execute. But the book of James is telling us to try anyway, because he rightly diagnoses that words that go unchecked are the biggest threat to the body of Christ, and it diminishes our message. And when should we be careful with our words? Write this down. All the time. There is never a good reason to be flippant with the things we say. See this example in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, I've never ridden a horse, but this metaphor is descriptive enough. Horses are instinctively wild animals, but the bits in their mouths allow us to hold the reins and direct them to whatever way we want. Likewise, we all have the potential to say very damaging things in any given moment, but we also have every control over our own faculties to metaphorically rein it in and be more precious with the words we choose. And verse 4 uses different imagery but gives us the same message. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Ships or even planes are large vessels that are affected greatly by their environment. But the rudder, which is so inconsequential in size compared to the rest of the ship, is still a powerful enough stabilizer that it can stay the course even in the face of turbulence. I mean, for the most part, that is. 
This comparison reminds us that sometimes we are inserted into situations where we might be influenced to behave a certain way. We might even say that someone provoked us. But even then, we can remain the captain of that ship and successfully override our impulses by choosing edifying words rather than demoralizing ones. So until now, we've been comparing the tongue or our use of words to something small that can make a huge impact and something we can, for the most part, control. Horses and ships are both vehicles of some sort. Likewise, these examples are showing us that we can control not just the things we say, but the way we deliver our words also. The inflection of the syllables, the tone of our voice, the timing in which we say them, we are accountable to both what we say and how we say them. I know that's a lot. But these next verses show us why it's so important that we are guarded with our words. Because the misuse of words can get out of hand very fast. Verses 5 through 8 tell us this. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James compares the tongue, that is our words, to a fire. The tongue is by nature an untamable fire that can devastate an entire forest. Now, that's a metaphor we understand very well, especially in California. Wildfires are ubiquitous around here, and they spiral out of control so fast that it takes days, weeks, sometimes even months to completely put out. And that's how damaging our words can be. A tiny spark of a blurted out word can be harmful to our relationships in major ways. But by the same token, notice that these verses don't say only bad or mean words are a fire. Which reminds us that fire by itself is neither good nor evil. Fire is necessary for warmth and cooking, for example. That means the things we say that are kind and compassionate can similarly spread like wildfire with each other. Now, all of these mixed metaphors are given such that we can understand that final point that the tongue can do as much damage as it can do good. And that duality is summed up in verses 9 and 10, which say, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. Praising God and cursing others should not coexist, but it does, and why do we allow it to? 
James is saying that these two things are, in fact, mutually exclusive. If we are praising God for all of the wonderful things he has created and for his work of salvation for all, and then we hurl offenses at some of these people he created, whom he has also saved, these are contradicting ideas. And words are even more sacred considering the fact that we humans are indeed created in the likeness of God. And what did God use to create the world? His word. God said, let there be light and there was light. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have the power of spontaneous creation like our God, but like God, we have the distinct power to impact other created things with our words. So what this passage calls us to do seems fairly straightforward, right? Watch what you say, think before you speak, (laughs) the usual but I challenge you to take it one step further. See, I've heard a lot of rhetoric from some people who long for the good old days when people could just say whatever they wanted without having to worry about all this politically correct business. And maybe some of you think along the same lines. To which I have to ask, were they truly good old days? Surely, you might have felt like you had more freedom to speak however you pleased, but at what cost? Were the words you were saying at such liberty, constructive, and encouraging words? Probably not. When people say they miss being able to speak their mind, they mean being able to call people by racial slurs and other demeaning descriptions. What are we losing by gravitating towards this newer norm where we do filter our words a little bit? Because being PC or choosing your words carefully is not just about trying not to say the wrong thing in case you offend someone. Choosing your words wisely is about speaking in ways that are kind and affirming to others, but not just for show. It has to stem from or at least influence your belief systems because you could easily say the right thing but not believe in a single word. Out of the same mouth, you can say you love God but never say anything to show that's true. Out of the same mouth, you can say that you love all God's people but promote hate speech against certain groups. Out of the same mouth, you can say you are a humble servant of God, but expect others to recognize you and validate you. Out of the same mouth, you can say that all sinners go to hell, but you yourself are living in sin. And out of the same mouth, you can say that you want peace and no drama, but passive-aggressively stir up gossip and cause arguments. And friends, as we read earlier, this should not be. It's not about becoming more tolerant of others. It's about fully embodying the person of Jesus Christ and his message of love. And he did walk that talk. He did practice what he preached. And the only times he used harsh-sounding words, 
were against those who thought they were in the right by being hateful and discriminating with their words and actions. I mean, think about the last conversation you had with someone who holds a different political or religious view as you do. It was probably not a peaceful conversation, if it could be called a conversation at all. You probably just shook your head a few times and said something passive-aggressive and left the dialogue just deeply troubled by how this other person could possibly think the things they do when the truth is so obvious to you. So, here's a thought experiment for us all. Our tongues, the words of our mouths, are small but can be mighty forces for both good and for evil. Which would you choose? Think about that this week. Instead of trying to win an argument to show someone up or to put someone in their place or even just telling off that jerk who cut you off on the freeway, what if you chose to use words that would communicate kindness, compassion, forgiveness, patience, and ultimately God's love? I hope that you'll join me in this call to be more intentional about choosing our words carefully and kindling the fire of Christ-likeness rather than fanning the flames of the ravaging wildfire that undermines the very good news we live for. Let's pray. God, how easy it has become for us to praise you with words that turn out to be empty and meaningless because with that same mouth we bruise and tear down others. And we might not think much of it at the moment, but how many people have we hurt unknowingly by not taming our tongues? Forgive us for our pride, our stubbornness, our perpetual need to let others know we are always right. Instead, show us how to speak in humble, loving ways such that our words will point to you. As it says in Psalm 19:14, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>